So some of you may be familiar with the name uh, John Newton. See, John Newton had a difficult upbringing. He was always in trouble with his his parents and with the law. Uh, But perhaps the biggest stain on John's life uh, was that for many years he was a slave trader uh, during the 1700s. He served as a sailor and later a captain on several ships that were involved in bringing slaves from the west coast of Africa uh, over to the New World in America. Uh, John Newton uh, was one time reading his Bible. Someone had suggested to him, uh, after hearing him uh, mocking God, after hearing him uh, talk about uh, his life and his sin with a sense of superiority and, and, and pride, uh, someone had suggested to him that he needed to go and, and read his Bible. And he began to uh, read his Bible and he came across the story of the prodigal son uh, who came, who left and spent all of his father's inheritance and um, spat in the face of his father his, his whole life, but then came back to the Lord and was received by the Lord. And one time John uh, contracted malaria for the second time in his life and it brought him uh, some deep suffering uh, and to the point of near death. And it was at that point that John realized that if he had died in that moment, uh, the suffering that he was facing now would be the least of the suffering he would ever face. That that, That what was waiting for him was not an end to his suffering, but an increase in his suffering in the eternal fire, fires of hell. And so he uh, remembered that story that he had read uh, in Luke chapter uh, 16 about the prodigal son. And he turned to the Lord. And he knew that the Lord had grace uh, that, that, and that he could be forgiven of his sins if he, if he repented and put his faith in him. And so that's what John did. And John's life was changed from that moment on, from that moment that he encountered Jesus. John Newton later became a pastor who served his congregation for 23 years, and he also became one of the most outspoken abolitionists of slavery of his time. But perhaps what Newton is most known for is that great hymn that he wrote. Does anybody know the hymn that he wrote? Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The reason I tell this story this morning is because John Newton encountered Jesus and it forever changed who he was. And this morning I I, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5 verse 11 and we're going to see that this idea of encountering Jesus and having your life changed, uh, it's not a coincidence. John's story is not um, a unique story in terms of what happens when we come uh, to to know the Lord. When people truly encounter Jesus, he changes us. When we truly understand the gospel, that's going to have implications in all areas of our lives. And that's what Uh, We're going to see this morning from our passage. So if you're not there already, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And hear God's word this morning. 
On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Going into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And when, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this morning's sermon is going to have uh, three main points to it. Uh, first, encountering Jesus challenges us. Second, encountering Jesus cha- uh, humbles us. And then thirdly, encountering Jesus changes us. And quickly, before I get into that first point that encountering Jesus challenges us, I first want to clarify what I mean by encountering Jesus. What I mean is that when we encounter Jesus, we recognize who Jesus truly is. We recognize that he is Lord and he is Savior. It's when we come to know him through his word and through prayer and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit using those two things. In our life, we have this initial encounter with Jesus when we become a Christian and we become the child of God. But then as we go throughout our life, we continue to encounter Jesus as we, as we grow in maturity as the children of God. And so this sermon then has, has application for all of us because we all in our various ways are, are encountering Jesus and the truths about Jesus all the time. And then the, the, the challenge is, what will your response be to encountering Jesus? To those moments when you read his word and there's, there's a truth uh, that is presented to you there. You know, how is encountering Jesus going to change me? How is encountering Jesus going to change the way that I, I see and view God? How is it going to change the way I see and view myself? How is it going to change the way I see and view others? And that's really what our passage is about this morning. Luke is, Luke is showing us this encounter that Simon has with Jesus, and what our response should be to that. And the first three verses, he spends 
uh, laying out the setting of our passage. And I'll read those again for us, verses 1 to 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And so we see here uh, that Jesus is continuing on in, in this preaching ministry that we've seen so far in, in Luke chapter 4. He's going and he's proclaiming the word of God, and many people are coming out to hear him. And the crowd is is pressing in on him and so Jesus is standing there and he sees some boats that have been brought up to shore and he goes over to the boats and he asks the fishermen hey can you can you can you let me out into the shallow water here so I can I can teach from uh, from the water and everybody can then uh, hear and listen to me and so that's interesting that Jesus is doing that but that's actually not the the real reason uh, that Jesus is wanting to go into the boats. This is just the, the setup for our um, passage. Jesus is, is going to come and he's going to teach uh, Simon something uh, as, he's in those, as, as he's in the boat. And so we see verse 4, that when Jesus is done preaching, this is what he says to them. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now you can imagine with me the the initial thoughts of Simon and his associates. You know, Simon, uh, th- this man Jesus has just showed up. Uh, he asked them to put them out into the shallow water, and they're like, "Okay, yeah, we can indulge that." Um, but now, all of a sudden, uh, Jesus is asking them to go out into the deep and to let down their nets to catch some fish. Now, the initial thoughts of, of Simon and his associates were probably something the lines, along the lines of this. You know, we here are the fishermen. You know, we are the ones that know the, the ins and outs of fishing. We are the ones that are the, the experts in this field. You know, if, if you remember, Jesus, you just saw us over there on the shore cleaning our nets out. And the reason that we're cleaning our nets out during the day is because Every good fisherman knows that fishing during the day is futile. You don't go and fish during the day uh, because the nets that they were using at this time were made of linen. And so the fish, uh, if if there was sunlight pouring into the water, the fish could see the nets and they would avoid the nets. Uh, But at nighttime, uh, there was no sun uh, shining into the water and so the fish couldn't see the nets and that's when you would catch all of the fish. And so if, if, if Jesus really wanted to go out for a catch, uh, he showed up at the wrong time and he's asking them the wrong things. And that's why Simon kind of responds initially pretty hesitant in verse 5. In verse 5 he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. You see, Simon and his partners have already gone out fishing at the best time to go fishing and they've caught absolutely nothing. They toiled all night and they are tired and they have zero fish to show for it, even though they went and did everything right. And now all of a sudden, this this carpenter 
from Nazareth comes along and tells them, no, I, I, I want to go fishing now. I want you to take me out now in the middle of the day. It's almost like me telling, you know, Dave, hey, Dave, this is how you use a hammer. Or me telling Jake, uh, this is the way you set a, a trap to catch a beaver. Or, or Morgan um, saying, hey, this, this is really how you should sharpen your knives to make sure they're the sharpest. You know, this, this carpenter is kind of telling these experts in fishing, you know, this is, this is how you're going to catch fish. Take me out and we're going to go and we're going to catch some fish. And they're, they're tired. They've just spent a long night um, fishing. And now all of a sudden Jesus is coming and he's going against all of the norms. He's, he's breaking every rule of fishing uh, of the day. And this leads me to our, our first main point of the sermon. And that is that encountering Jesus challenges us. I'll say that again. Encountering Jesus challenges us. And in fact, it it challenges us in every aspect of our lives. You know, Jesus, he he gets in there and he he challenges us in the way we think about work. He challenges us in the way we think about our families. He challenges us in the way we think about our money and our friendships and our time and what our priorities are in life. You know, in in Simon's case, in, in the eyes of the world, and in the, the ways of the world, it's a little bit ridiculous that Jesus wants to go fishing at this time. I mean, realistically, they, they aren't going catch to any, catch anything. But Jesus, he's, he's challenging Simon. He's challenging Simon not to think in these worldly terms, but to trust what he has to say. To trust that even though it might look ridiculous, even though the other fishermen are probably on the shore laughing at these guys for going out uh, into the boat, they, they've cleaned off their nets and now they all of a sudden got to go drag them back in, get them dirty just to catch nothing. So even though Jesus is, is defying all of these fishing rules and norms and best practices of the day, Jesus still wants Simon to trust him. And it's not just here in this passage that we see this, this theme. You know, Jesus often challenges our commonly held beliefs. In Matthew 16, verse 25, he says, If you want to save your life, you will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now that goes completely against the logic and views of the world, which says that if you want a fulfilled life, then what you do is you, you go out, you live for yourself, you, you chase after the pleasures, the things that make you feel good in life, and you protect your life at all costs and prolong it as long as you can. And yet Jesus then comes along and says, actually, true life is found when you give up living your life for yourself and the interests of yourself. Or another one, we just read this this morning. How about Luke 6, verse 27 to 28? Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. I mean, how does that make any sense? You know, the tendency is, is not to pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies, but really to do the exact opposite. You know, to, to hate your enemies, to long for their destruction, to say to yourself, well, they only got what they what they had coming for them. And so we see that Jesus comes and he challenges and sometimes completely flips on its head the way that we see things. 
He's going to ask us to, to do things that in the world's eyes look completely ridiculous. You know, you're going you're gonna to leave a successful career to go and be a missionary? You're going you're gonna to take back your wife who is time and time again? You're going to give up you know, poker night with the boys so that you can spend more time with your wife and your children? You're in a, you're in a tough financial situation, and yet you're still going to give money to your church or to help others? You're going you're gonna to forgive that person even after all of the times they have wronged you and done this to you? You see, in, in, encountering Jesus challenges us. And now the question is, will you receive that challenge in faith? I mean, look at, look at Simon's response. Jesus has just challenged him, challenged his thinking. And this is how Simon responds. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. See, Simon, though it, though it seems ridiculous, though it, though it goes against his knowledge and what he thinks best, he decides to trust Jesus. And that needs to be our attitude. If God commands us to do something, even if we can't see the reason behind it, we do it. We take it in faith that, that God's ways are greater than our ways. We take it in faith that, that the God who created the universe and created us is the one who knows how we and the universe best operate. When Jesus says, lose your life and you will find it, we take that in faith and we say alongside Simon, at your word, I will let down the nets. And so this morning, what in your life is Jesus challenging you in? Where where are you reading maybe a, a command of God or a, 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 uh, something that the Lord is desiring of you and you're refusing to be obedient to that because you're unwilling to step out in faith and trust that his ways are greater than your ways? Jesus can be trusted. Jesus, Jesus loves you and what he asks of you is not to hurt you or to punish you. It's for your good. I'm reminded of Psalm 19, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. The, the, the commandments, what God asks of you, are right, giving joy to the heart. Giving joy to the heart. See, Jesus might challenge you, but his commands, they bring true life and they bring joy. If you want, if you want to have a more joy-filled life, there is joy in doing what the Bible tells us to do, in orienting your life around how God commands us to orient our life. That is where true joy comes. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And so that's the first point. Jesus, encountering Jesus challenges us. And so in what ways is, is he challenging you? Now moving on to the second point. Encountering Jesus humbles us. Encountering Jesus humbles us. Look at verses 6 to 8. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came 
and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And now some churches, specifically churches that might preach uh, that God wants you to always be happy, that God always wants you to be healthy, and that God always wants you to be wealthy, would probably look at this passage and say, Peter stepped out in faith, and look at what God did. He filled his net with fish. He gave him everything that he ever wanted. If you follow Jesus, he is going to give you a full bank account. He's going to give you a healthy children. He's going to give you a big house to fill with your goods and your possessions. But that's not the focus of Jesus here. In fact, Peter doesn't even look at the fish. He turns and he looks to who? He looks to Jesus. And now you can, you can picture this scene. And Simon and his, his partners, they, they load all their nets back into the boat. They take them off the shore. They take Jesus out to the, to the deeper area where there might be some fish. And then they put their nets down into the water, not really expecting too much, maybe yawning from a late night of fishing. But then all of a sudden, Simon notices that, that the nets are starting to move. And then he notices that now the boat is even starting to move and tip a little bit. And so he, he runs over to the side of the boat and he cannot believe what he sees. Not only are the nets overflowing with fish because there's so many in them they're actually starting to rip and so Simon yells to his business partners come over here and 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 they start to load the fish onto both of the boats and then there's so many fish that the boats themselves begin to sink because of the weight and Simon as he's standing there as he's as he's witnessing this miracle before his very eyes what he does is he turns his back on the fish and he looks to Jesus and he falls down on his knees and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, Simon here realizes who it is who is with him on this boat. You know, this isn't just some some prophet. This isn't just some wise teacher. This isn't just some man who has the ability to do a few miracles here and there. In verse 5, he calls Jesus master, which was a, was, which was a, a term of um, respect. But now after seeing the omnipotence of Jesus, seeing the omniscience of Jesus, he doesn't call him master anymore. He calls him, oh Lord. Kurios, the 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 Greek term. He recognizes that this here in front of him is the Holy One of God. This is the one who who commands creation and it obeys. This is the Lord. And now the Bible in in describing Jesus uses this term Lord quite a bit. In fact, it it was the primary term that Jesus used to describe himself. Now we often talk about Jesus in two ways. We talk about him as as Savior And we talk about him as Lord. And it is very true that Jesus is our Savior. He has paid the tremendous debt for us by going and dying on the cross. But sometimes I think we can overemphasize that Jesus has come to save us. 
And we neglect sometimes the emphasis that Jesus is also the Lord of our lives. You know, you read through the book of Acts. If you look up the word Savior, you'll notice that in the book of Acts it's used twice, uh, the, the word Savior. You look up the word Lord, and do you know how many times it's used? It's used 99 times in the book of Acts. And that tells us a little something about how important it was to the early church that Jesus is Lord. Now, what does it mean that, that Jesus is Lord? What does, that, what does that actually mean? Well, it means that Jesus lays claim to all authority. It means that Jesus is the one who is, who is ruler over all, and all things and all people owe him their allegiance and their submission. And that includes every one of us here. Every single one of us owes complete allegiance and submission and obedience and unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ. And there is a a big problem in Christianity right now in that many churches and many Christians out there do not believe this to be true. They think that you can say a prayer, you can accept Jesus into your heart, you can be saved from your sins and then go on and, and live however you want. You know, God doesn't, God doesn't require you to change who you are. This is how God has made you. But where is that in the Bible? You know, what I see in the Bible is deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. What I see in the Bible is that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You know, what I see in the Bible is that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. If Jesus is not your Lord, if you cannot say to Jesus, whatever you command of me, Whatever you desire of me, whatever you require of me, I am your servant and I will obey your will. Your will. If you can't say that, then you have to question whether you are actually a Christian. And I'm not saying that you, that any of us here are saved by our works. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, by the shed blood of Christ alone. Now, our good works contribute absolutely nothing before the Lord in terms of justifying us and granting us salvation. But what I am saying is that though we are justified by faith alone, that faith will never be alone. You know, true, genuine faith is always going to produce true and genuine works and fruit. It's going to produce a life that is, that is a new creation, that is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we never fail. You know, we all fail at times, but that does mean that there will be visible changes in our obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, there will be a progress in our pursuit of holiness and our conformity to the image of Christ. And now in order for that to happen, one essential thing must define us as Christians. And that is that we must be brought to humility. 
If you remember, my second point of the, the sermon is that encountering Jesus humbles us. Well, look again what, what Simon says in verse 8. He says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, when Simon realizes who it is that he's speaking to, that he is speaking here to the Lord who possesses all authority, it immediately humbles him. And this response mimics what we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah encounters the Lord, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, in both of these instances, the the greatness of God, the holiness of God, the lordship of God humbles these men. It, it, it brings them down to their knees and, and causes them to see their own sinfulness and their own unworthiness to even be in the presence of God. And I think this, there, there's a really important takeaway for us from this. You see, pride is a, is a sin that is very prevalent in mankind. And the church is no exception. And, 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 and the challenge with pride is that pride is a very sneaky sin. Now you, you might think that you're not prideful because you're not an arrogant person. But arrogance is, is really just, just one of the ugly faces of pride. You see, a, a, a person who always wants pity or is self-pitying, that's a proud person. A person who is, who is always defensive against others, that's a proud person. A person who is unwilling to be taught. A person who is unwilling to or, or has no desire to serve others. A person who is always looking to, to blame others for their problems. A person who's unwilling to take criticism. A person who's not full of gratitude. A person who, who doesn't pray or confess their sin. A person who always thinks that they deserve better. You know, all of these manifestations, at the root of them, is the sin of pride. It's the sin of pride. And I'm sure that all of us here probably struggle with one of these in one form or another. I was, I was really convicted as I was reading as I was writing out this list I'm like you know that that's me that's me I need to be humbled by the Lord and that's where the good news comes in because we see here that that there is a way in which we can be humbled and the solution that we see here is what and the solution that we see in the case of Isaiah 6 is that when we encounter Jesus as Lord, that brings us to humility. You see, we are, we, are, we, are, we are not humble today because we think too little of God. We don't, we don't have a big enough theology of God. We often trade the God of the Bible for a, for a genie in a lamp style of God or a, or, a, or a buddy who gets us out of trouble when we need him. You know, or, or, or a God who we, we come to and we bring our sacrifices of uh, a couple hours on Sunday morning and then he's appeased and we go on our own way. Rather than the holy, powerful, sovereign, 
omnipotent, omniscient, wrathful, just, righteous God of the Scriptures. Instead, we have these small and pathetic ideas of God. Well, see, those gods, they're not going to bring you any humility. It's only when we begin to more understand the glorious nature and attributes of the true God of the Bible that we start to, to crumble in humility under His majestic holiness. You know, that's, what, that's what happened to Simon. That's what happened to Isaiah. And that's what needs to happen to us. Now think of it this way. Imagine that you're, you're standing on a, on a, a, a dark road uh, in the middle of the night. And you see someone standing there and they're holding a flashlight. Now it's a, it's a little light, but uh, it's enough that you can see that they're holding uh, this flashlight. But then all of a sudden, beside them on the road, drives up uh, this decked out Jeep. And it's got new lights, it's got high beams, it's got those lights that sit on the top of the vehicle. And all of a sudden, what happens to that little flashlight that you saw before? Well, you can't see it anymore. Because the Jeep is emitting so much light that it just encompasses that little light, so you may as well turn it off. And that's how it works with seeing the greatness of God. You know, the greater the light of God's glory, the smaller and smaller our glory and our desire for glory comes that we may as well just not even seek after it. And so if you're here this morning and you are struggling with pride, and you want to grow in humility. Now, this is a place to start. Ask God to show you how great and how big He is. Ask God that as, as you're reading the Scriptures, that He would humble you to His greatness and your sinfulness. You know, ask God that He would show you how little and small you are in comparison to how big and great He is. See, truly encountering Jesus humbles us. It breaks down the walls of pride. And it causes us to see our sin, but it also causes us to what? To run to the Lord, who is the one who can save us from that sin. And so that's the second point that encountering Jesus humbles us. And now the final point of the sermon is that encountering Jesus changes us. Encountering Jesus changes us. Look at verses 9 and 10. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. See, no one comes to Jesus who isn't changed by Jesus. And specifically here, Jesus is going to change the whole orientation of the life of Simon and the other disciples. Now he tells them, no longer will you be catching fish, but you will be catching men. You won't be gathering fish into a boat anymore. What you'll be doing is gathering people and men into the kingdom of God. Jesus completely changes the focus of these men's lives. And the same is true for us. Jesus has changed your focus and mission in this life. I've mentioned this a few times as, been, as we've been working through the book of Luke because it's all over Scripture. And so I'll say it again. 
the gathering of people into the kingdom of God under the lordship of Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel is your primary mission in this life. That is your primary mission in this life. Jesus did not save you with the gospel to keep the gospel to yourself. You have been, you have been caught by God so that you could go out and catch other men and bring them under the same grace and lordship that you have been brought under. And this really isn't optional for the Christian. You know, if I, if I start a new job and my boss tells me, hey, this is why I have hired you for this purpose in this company. You know, I can't say to him, hey, thanks for the, the job and the salary, but, you know, I, I don't really want to do that stuff you want me to do. You know, I'll, I'll get to it maybe if I have the chance. You know, none of us would ever do that in the, the workplace if we got hired on for a new job. But do we do that when it comes to the, the mission of God? When the Lord gives us a purpose and a mission? Do we say, hey, thanks for the, the grace, thanks for the mercy, thanks for the, the, the blessings that you've given me, but eh, your mission's not really for me? Now, does that mean that we all have to move overseas and quit our jobs and become full-time missionaries? Well, for some of us, yeah, I think that's exactly what it means. You know, if, the, if the Lord is placing that call on your life, then you do have to be obedient to that call if Jesus is your Lord. But for the majority of us, it means that in the day in and day out of our lives, we are, we are being an evangelist for the kingdom. And we're sharing the gospel with our children. We're sharing the gospel with our coworkers and our neighbors and our family and even random people on the street or at the coffee shop. See, encountering Jesus, it, it changes our mission in life. And now the all-encompassing question is how will you respond to that mission? Look at verse 11 to see how Simon responds. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. See, these fishermen, they've, they've just received the greatest catch of their lives. Their, their boats were practically sinking because of how many fish they caught. And yet as they finally row those boats to shore, they don't start unloading the fish. They leave the fish they leave the boats and they go and they follow Jesus. That is what encountering Jesus will do to you. It will change you so that you will give up everything to follow Jesus. See, following Jesus, it, it doesn't just have spiritual ramifications. Now, following Jesus affects everything. It's going to have social ramifications. You may lose or gain certain friends because of what you believe and what you're willing to do or willing to not do because you desire to obey Christ. It's going to have economical ramifications. You may lose out on certain business opportunities or certain promotions because of your desire to hold fast to the ethics and teachings of Christ. It's going to have physical ramifications. Now, all of these men that Jesus is talking to on this boat, apart from John, were killed because 
they decided to follow Christ. See, to follow after Jesus is to submit everything and every area of your life to his will and his control. To make his purposes in this life your purposes in this life. You know, Lord, I will raise my children according to your will. Lord, my, my money is yours to be used according to your will. Lord, my, my time is yours to be used for your great purposes. Lord, my gifts are yours stewarded for serving others. Lord, your purposes, what you desire, that is, those are my purposes. That is what I desire. And I want, to ask, I, I want you to ask yourself the question, is following Jesus like this the primary purpose of your life? And I want you to be honest with yourself. Is following Jesus the primary purpose of your life? When you look at all the areas of your life, how much of it is devoted to what you want and how much of it is devoted to what God wants of you? you know, does, does, does God get you know, the seconds? Does God get the, the, the extra time that you have? Does God get the you know, couple hours on Sunday morning and then maybe 10 minutes when you wake up and you're quickly trying to get out the door to work? Don't say that you're following Jesus if your life shows no dedication or passion for Jesus. Don't, so, don't, don't say you're following Jesus if your life is practic- practically indistinguishable from your non-Christian neighbor. Don't say you're following Jesus if you're not willing to sacrifice some of the comforts of this world for him. Would you, like Jesus, bring your full boats to shore and leave everything to follow him if he asked you to? I want to finish my sermon with the story of a man named Jim Elliott. Some of you might be familiar with Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to an unreached Indian tribe in the Amazonian region of Ecuador. He was a gifted speaker and writer. He graduated college at the top of his class and he was married to a wonderful woman and was beginning to start a young family. Jim had everything that was needed for a long, good, and successful life in the world's eyes. And yet... He chose to make it his life's mission to bring the gospel to a people who had never heard the name of Jesus. He and four other missionaries began reaching out to this tribe. They would send gifts and goods to them. They would, they would write to them and try to communicate to them through, through banners on their, their airplanes. But when they attempted to make contact with this tribe to bring them the gospel in person, All five men were speared to death that day by the people that they were trying to save from the eternal fires of hell. You know, some people look at that and they call Jim Elliott's death a tragedy. A promising 28-year-old who lost his life and left behind his wife and 10-month-old daughter. I mean, couldn't he have, imagine what he could have done as a pastor in a church with his gift and speaking and teaching. It's such a tragedy. But I don't see it that way. And neither did Jim 
or his wife. You see, Jim Elliot knew that following Jesus meant following Jesus even when it is hard. Following Jesus, even when the place he is calling you, may mean that you have to sacrifice. Following Jesus, even if it means you may lose your life. Jim himself said it best when he wrote in his journal uh, before he passed away. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he will never lose. See, we are, we are striving for a greater prize in this world than the, the glories and comfort and wealth that it offers. And it's hard. You know, following Jesus isn't easy, but it is worth it for the eternal glory that is waiting for us when we set aside the ambitions of this world and we grab hold of this command to drop everything and to follow Jesus no matter where he leads us. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he will never lose. Let's pray.